Good morning, Graham Church. Really nice to be back with you. Nance and I had a great um, 50th anniversary uh, getaway and then uh, blessed to come back to that white stuff you had here. Um, I'll be available should anyone want to meet this afternoon after the second service. Also, I'm able to make appointments for Tuesday afternoon if anyone should want to meet. And I want to mention that starting next week, we're going to do a three-part series from Romans 14 and 15 on how to discern between absolutes, things that are essential, and uh, personal convictions, and then just personal preferences. This is an interesting section of Scripture that talks about when Christians disagree on that which is not essential to salvation and how we should respond to it. I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bible and turn, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll talk this morning about giving God's way. You say, Pastor Jim, why, why would you as an interim pastor preach on giving? Well, first of all, it's a subject that uh, the Scripture give a lot of attention to. And it's a wonderful subject. And I also noticed, going back, that Pastor Mike hadn't preached on it much uh, recently. And then I know that someday God's going to give you a full-time pastor. He's not going to come right out of the chute preaching on giving. And uh, so we're going to look at a blessed passage that uh, talks to us about five ways that we can give biblically. Now, I see that uh, I failed, to, apparently, to get my outline in uh, in your handout, so you might want to just take the pen that you find in the seat in front of you and make a note of five ways that God wants us to give. And um, let's begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read uh, with some comments the first couple paragraphs of 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now let's stop and notice that Paul loved to commend churches and groups that were sharing with others and were giving. And the people in Macedonia, this Bible region, had been through tough times economically. They just didn't have a recession. They were in what we would call a, an economic depression. And yet out of it, they collected a bunch of money to help other Christians that were hurting. And in the midst of their severe poverty, they demonstrated great generosity. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this they did, not as we expected, 
but gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you exceed in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Well, let me take from this passage specifically uh, up on the PowerPoint, I've got verse 8, but that's the wrong verse. Let's see here. Verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Christianity doesn't begin with our giving anything. It's by our receiving the gift from God. Amen? And so it's, it's never about, the, the Christian life does not center around uh, our giving, sacrificial or joyful or whatever, but it does center around our receiving and then responding gratefully. When, when Paul looked at this church that was going through a really difficult time, um, he said, you did something that surprised me and blessed me. First thing you did was you gave yourself to the Lord. Well, this is, this is giving from the heart. This is the only way to give. Because God wants you, not your money, right? Amen. So Proverbs 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Look what he says in Psalm 50. If I were in need, I wouldn't ask you. <laughs> I own all. So this is a passage where he talks about, I own all the gold and the silver in the earth and the cattle on a thousand hills and, and all of that. Giving is not to get God out of some crisis, but rather an opportunity for us to show gratitude and also to, to be developed and to help others. Now, I love this verse from Philippians 4.17. When Paul was talking about the subject of giving, he wanted to make sure that he wasn't misunderstood. He said, not that I'm looking for a gift. Uh, the Apostle Paul didn't make money off of people's offerings. Preachers don't make money off of offerings. Somebody gives us a million dollars tomorrow. If somebody does give us a million dollars tomorrow... Uh, no individual is going to profit from it, but rather from ministry. Paul says, not that I am looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Jesus said a strange thing when he said, I want you to invest in eternity. I want you to lay up treasure in heaven so that when you go to heaven, people will welcome you with gratitude. What's he talking about? Our giving of our time, our talent, 
our treasure, resulting in people loving God and then actually welcoming us in heaven with a thank you for giving. What's the Apostle Paul's motive here in writing to the Corinthians? Not selfish or personal, but that the Christians might have that which would be credited to their account. And then we just read this beautiful verse that so sums up the gift of God in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The God who spoke and worlds came into beings. The Bible says almost as an afterthought, and he made the stars also. So billions of galaxies with billions of stars It was the second person of the Holy Trinity, Christ Jesus, who spoke and they came into being. But he chose then to be born in a barn, to die on a cross, that through his poverty we might become rich. Most people are not aware that some of the Ivy League schools like Princeton and Harvard and Yale They were founded out of the American colonies to help people be ministers, specifically to be missionaries to the Native American Indians. One graduate of such school, this is a rather often told story, went out west to live for years among the Great Plains Native Indians. And he was wise to learn their customs, to live with them and love them. And the day came after his repeated teaching about Jesus and the truth. He began with creation and went all the way through revelation. And uh, the chief then, one day, after years of teaching, came and said, "Um, I want to give my spear to Jesus. Now, you have to understand, this is unusually valuable. The spear was the chief's symbol of his chiefdom. And uh, I probably would have said, great, chief, let's make you a deacon. <laughs> but but the, uh, the missionary was wiser than I am. He said, no, chief, God does not want your spear. It is recorded then that sometime later, the chief of this great Plains tribe came to the missionary and said, I wish to give my pony to great spirit Jesus. And the missionary said, chief, Jesus does not need your pony. He does not want your pony. Now the pony was the most prized possession of the great Plains Indian. The chief went away for days or weeks to think about this. He came back and reportedly said, um, missionary man, um, great spirit Jesus, not, not want my spear, not need my pony. Chief will give himself, himself to Jesus. And the missionary said, that's what Jesus wants. And that's where it all begins. 
So right down here, the first principle of giving God's way is first, give yourself. Paul said these dear believers in this hurting place called Macedonia, they first gave themselves to the Lord. A second principle of biblical giving is to keep proper commitments you have already made. So we just read in verse 7, bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Now, by the way, all of 2 Corinthians 8 and most of chapter 9 is about giving. A lot of principles there that we can't get to. But uh, verse 11 says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion. In other words, if we've been, by the Spirit of God, burdened, compelled to find out about a ministry and to give to it, but then we forget about it or we neglect it. We do not do well. After we first give ourselves to the Lord, we are to keep any proper commitments that we have made. Um, let me just say that uh, if you've made a commitment that is a godly commitment to a ministry that's responsible, by the way, Graham Church adheres to uh, the financial policies of a group called the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. The ECFA is a group that makes sure that um, ministry money doesn't get abused or spent on things that it shouldn't be. And so we voluntarily agree. And uh, every good group in North America, every major missions group, all the missionaries that we support at Graham uh, are part of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. But uh, some are not because they don't want to be open to an audit. And I'm going to say to you, and this is biblical for me to call out names, I'm going to say to you some representative of type people that I find a lot of Christian people give to, but if you look into their finances, look carefully into their ministry, may I humbly suggest to you that you should not give to Benny Hinn. Now, Benny Hinn is a charismatic uh, prosperity gospel preacher, He's been approached many times by Christian people in the spirit of Galatians 6.1. If someone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, attempt to restore such a person in a spirit of humility, lest you be tempted. And Benny Hinn has said, yes, I, I have gotten off track, I am wrong. But then he goes back to, to what is a ministry that many people give to but I'm going to say, quite frankly, where money is mishandled. This is the sad reality of Joyce Myers. I know that Joyce Myers' Bible teaching blesses a lot of people. But um, while I was away with Nancy down south this week, we had dinner three times with a pastor or a Christian worker from St. Louis, and he's very familiar with Joyce Meyer. And uh, the, the millions and millions of dollars spent on her estates and her family estates. You say, Jim, this doesn't seem very Christian for you to be specifically naming and criticizing. No, the Apostle Paul taught in, in the pastoral epistles 
that there are times that we have to name those that are in error and avoid them. I think this goes uh, likewise for a very likable, positive man named Joel Olstein, who preaches much about the Bible and positive attitude, and at times even preaches the gospel, but by his own admission has said he's not called to call people to repentance and to deal with the sorrowful issue of sin. I say this because it's so important that if you've made a commitment to something that is in error, it's unbiblical, or the funds are not being used properly. Uh, Nancy and I will not give to a ministry that's not a part of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Um, I know that, um, uh, John, you're familiar with ECA. People had questions about it. See me, see John. Uh, it started by Billy Graham uh, 75 years ago so that there wouldn't be questions, that, that there would be good guidelines for finances. Now, let me say this. If you have made a commitment, you've taken a vow to give to something, and it turns out that it's not worthy of your gift, you can repent of that. It's called repenting of a foolish vow. I've had to do that before. Say, Lord, I didn't have all the information. I got caught up in the emotion. I said I would make this commitment. Now I find out they don't believe in the Trinity. Whoa. Whoa. Or money is abused. And so a vow is a very serious thing. And normally in the Bible, when a vow is made, it has to be kept. But a foolish vow can be repented of. All that to say that the first principle of giving is first give yourself to the Lord. Second, think about commitments that maybe were proper commitments and by the Spirit of God. And make sure that we don't just let those things fall by the wayside. That's too easy for us to do. All right, number three. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are going to say several times right up front that we are to give as a reflection of our love. Paul says in verse 8, I want to test the sincerity of your love. If uh, someone looks at your checkbook or your credit card report, they know where your heart is. You look at that and you look at the music you listen to and uh, you know what it is that you have an affection for, be it the Lord or not. And later on, down in verse 24, Paul again says, therefore show these men the proof of your love. He's talking about being wise and faithful in your giving. So we would say right up front, don't give that some individual would prosper, but rather that the kingdom would go forth. Give as a reflection of your love to the Lord Jesus. Now we know the biblical principle. It's really not the amount, but the attitude. I really wanted to make this a two-part series and preach on giving according to Jesus because he taught so much about stewardship. and About half of his parables had some stewardship aspect to it. But I, I'm real excited to get onto this Romans uh, series and go by verse by verse through uh, Romans to talk about how do we 
how do we deal with Christians when we differ on issues that are not biblical absolutes? But remember, Jesus watched people giving in the temple. I can, I can just see him over in the corner of the temple and he is observing people as they give. Those who gave for show came and took their coins and dumped them in a giving box with great fanfare because they wanted the approval of men. And then he saw a little widow lady and she comes up with a couple of pennies. Actually, even less than that. And she puts them in the box and Jesus watches. And then he comments, this woman has demonstrated the sincerity of her love because in this circumstance, this is not normally required of everybody, but in some circumstances, by faith, she gave all that she had. And that story has been told for 2,000 years and will reverberate throughout heaven of a woman who had little but loved God. And Jesus watched her give as he watches all of us give. But it's really not the amount. We know it is the attitude. Amen? Number four. There are just five points uh, that I've taken from these first verses in 2 Corinthians 8. Giving is to be willing and proportionate. Here's verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. God wants us to give with a willing spirit, and he wants us to give proportionately as God has blessed us. Those that have little will proportionately give little. Those who have much or who have grown in their possessions or income should give more. God is reasonable. For some reason, the snow made me think of Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, your, your, your sins will be washed uh, clean. And uh, our God is a reasonable God, and he wants us to reason and think about the fact that as we've grown in maybe what we possess, so it is that reflecting our love, we should grow in our proportionate giving. So here's a verse from chapter 9 where the subject is continued. Each should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I almost included a couple of cartoons here in the PowerPoint. One of my favorites is there's this grumpy old guy, he's sitting in church and he's looking like he sucked on pickles and, and, and then the offering plate comes by and he knows he's supposed to be cheerful. He goes, he gives his money then he goes back to being his normal self. There's a hilarious cartoon called The Baptism. It's a picture of a guy being baptized, and as he's immersed in the water, he quick grabs his wallet and holds it out of the water. 
He's going to be baptized and follow Jesus, but he's not sure he wants his credit card or cash to follow along. You know that God wants us to give literally hilariously, joyfully, because God loves it when we do that. Now, the, the basic guide for the way that we should regularly give is here in 1 Corinthians 16 too. Let me encourage you to write that reference down so you can go back and look at it. At the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, on the first day of every week, that would be what we call the Lord's Day, the day of the resurrection, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. And Paul goes on to say, so there won't be a bunch of crisis appeals. Oh, we're in this jam. No, that there be regularly, systematic, weekly giving. Why? Because God wants us to recognize that uh, every day is His day, but especially the Lord's day is a day to remember His goodness to us and to give. So Nancy and I do something kind of different. We, when we're done uh, at, at an in, as an interim, then we have some stocks that have accumulated over the years and we don't want to pay taxes on the accumulation, but we can give the amount to the church. And, and the church doesn't have to pay taxes on the accumulation, nor, nor do I. And so in addition to trying to support some other ministries, um, we've thought, what, what else can we do that not only lowers our taxes, but blesses and helps a ministry, but that, that's unique. What, what God wants us to do is weekly remember. And uh, you say, well, well Jim, I, I've been kind of sporadic in how I give, a little bit here, a little bit there. Let me suggest to you that you tithe. I'll talk a little bit more about this in a, Well, let me do it right now. Tithing is an Old Testament standard of 10%. But the New Testament goes beyond that and doesn't teach just tithing, but rather proportionate giving. Does that make sense? Four people think it makes sense. <laughs> um, proportionate giving. So forgive the personal testimony, but Nancy and I have experimented with God to try to grow in the grace of giving. And uh, I worked when I was in school and I'd been converted and been blessed by good teaching, so I started to tithe. But then, as, as Nancy and I grew and, uh, in marriage and, and income, um, then we did a double tithe and then a triple tithe. And our goal has, these last few years, to always give away more than we live on for ourselves. So more than 50%. Uh, please take that testimony in the right spirit in which I give it. And God just keeps blessing us with income and jobs and, and gifts. But here's the basic principle for giving. Take a sum of money every week in keeping proportionately with your income and give it to the Lord. Fifth and final point. Generosity in giving opens us up to God's giving. Now, I've already criticized some 
preachers this morning that are called prosperity preachers. They say that the reason you should give is that that puts God under obligation to make you rich and healthy and happy. God is not obligated to you, but God is good. He's a God of grace. And he teaches that if he can find somebody like Abraham, who he said, I will trust. Somebody like Job, who out of horrible trial, he can trust. As they give, he will pour on the blessings to them. In the Bible, there are some really wealthy men and women. And in the Bible, there are some very poor men and women who are very godly. Can I use one example? Jesus said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but I, the Son of Man, have nowhere to lay my head. He was the epitome of godliness, being God. He said he was poor. You see, it's not about how much you have. It's always about the attitude that you have. But very clearly in this passage and throughout the Scripture, generosity and giving opens us up to God's giving. So here's verses 13 through 15. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, weekly, with, with reservation, will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You don't have a 20-acre field and throw out a full a few handfuls of seed and expect to reap a bountiful harvest. But as you sow, so shall you reap. And that's true of acts of kindness. It's, it, it, that's true of sharing a smile. It's true of our finances and our time and our treasure. As we sow, so shall we reap. I love Proverbs 11. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Thank you, Solomon, for Holy Spirit wisdom from the fact that there are people that withhold more than is appropriate. The King James says that tends to poverty. But there are those who give liberally, generously, and they prosper. Now here's the Lord Jesus in Luke 6.38. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running will be put into your lap. I think I missed a word. That should read running over will be given into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, here's the background of this strange language. A woman goes to the market, she says, I got to buy seed. I got to buy grain. I'm going to cook. And so she puts on her big cook's apron and she goes to the merchant and she says, give me as much grain as I can hold. And then she says, press it down. She's shaking it. This is how she's going to carry in her lap, so to speak, the grain back to her home. And um, she says, uh, shake it, press it down, 
And uh, one translation says it will be overflowing or running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Nobody's going to question that Jesus' motives were wrong on the subject of giving. But again, he reiterates the Old Testament, the New Testament principle. If God finds a man, woman, boy, or girl, oh, and our example to the children is so important in this, when God finds someone that he will trust, he will pour on the blessing for his glory. Now, I have to say that if you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there are several other biblical principles for giving. For example, the principle of have open books. You want to find out uh, what the budget is at Graham Community Church. You want to know where money is being spent. Go to a deacon and get a report. And I don't think we hide those from anybody. Because that's a part of good accountability. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8.21 says, Provide things that are honest, not only in the sight of God, but in the sight of man. And so we want to make sure that there's no abuse or no misuse. And these are great chapters to go through and dig in for yourself and to see how that you might further show the sincerity of your love and open up yourself to further blessings. You know that if you look in the back of a study Bible, you'll often see a map of Israel. And you know that a map of Israel will always show you what we call the Sea of Galilee. By Michigan standards, it's not a very big sea. It's a nice-sized lake. It's a beautiful lake. It has uh, water that flows from the north, right about where the word up is, is a mountain called Mount Hermon. The Jews call it Mount Hermon. It's about the only place in Israel you can see snow uh, part of the year. But that snow water melts and it comes down a river into the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is fresh water. There's fish. There's recreation. Fig trees. And a wonderful place to be. But then it flows into the lowest point on planet Earth. It's called the Dead Sea. It's called dead because nothing can live there. It, uh, I, I, I have a picture of me reading the Jerusalem Post just floating on top of the, the water. By the way, your interim pastor is not very smart. I remember specifically shaving that morning before I jumped in the Dead Sea. Yeah, that, that hurt. There's a story of a... Uh, Palestinian Bedouin man who is fishing in the Dead Sea. A tourist says, why are you fishing in the Dead Sea? Everybody knows there's nothing. He says, you give me $20, I tell you. The American says, I'm not going to be fooled by that. He walks away, but American curiosity overcomes him. He comes back, gives him $20 and says, all right, what are you catching in the Dead Sea? You are the fifth American tourist I've caught today. 
I tell that story because the Dead Sea is dead. It is barren and nothing lives there. Why? Because that life-flowing water from the Sea of Galilee flows down and the Sea of Galilee gives out. It continues to prosper, but in the Dead Sea, it hits this lowest bowl on planet Earth and there it stagnates and stays and evaporates. The Sea of Galilee takes in, but it also gives out. The Dead Sea takes in, but it doesn't give out. And that's why its name is the Dead Sea. So there's two big lakes in Israel. There's two kinds of people in the world. We want to be those who take in, but refresh others and give out. And to... to, to live our stewardship, not the way that the world lives or that people in so many weakened churches give, but, but to give ourselves first, to give carefully, wisely, regularly, joyfully, and to then to be grateful for the blessing of God that follows. Let's bow our hearts together. And so, Father, with this special subject, we pray that you give your people understanding and beyond understanding, obedience. That we might know the joy of giving as we ought to give. Now, Father, I would plead with you that none would misunderstand this morning. And that all would be clear that Christianity begins with your giving to us the gift of eternal life in Christ. And that our response is to give ourselves. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.